As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com It's already recording. Oh, okay, lovely. Mm. So all this is recorded. Oh, my God. Welcome to our off-air for this week with the Janes. We're back, Jane. And how are you branding me, Jane? Well, I, I may have used an adjective on the radio that I now bitterly regret. Yeah. I, what was I, it? I can't remember. Well, it began with S and ended with Mutty, and <laughs> okay. uh, it was reported to me. Uh, well, I, why weren't I, you listening? <laughs> I'm not allowed to listen at my desk. Why not? Oh, because I, I can't write and I, I'm not a multitasker, Jane. I can't pat my head and rub my tummy and listen to you and do my day job. But but anyway, I'd just like oh, to say I've put it in the tribunal file oh, and okay. there's only one other email actually in the tribunal file and it, it's not unrelated. That is related to when I was taken off Nick Ferrari's breakfast show for making him silly and distracted, in inverted commas, <laughs> and I wasn't allowed to review the papers with Nick for a year until I promised that I would keep him focused on the news agenda and not make him silly and distracted. So I'm not saying that you're the Actually, not the first person to say this, Jay. No, I've just needed to meet the woman who can tell me how to make a man silly and distracted. <laughs> so what is it you do? Well, I mean, I was about 27 at the time, I and see. I think it was mainly that. <laughs> That's enough. Okay, so and I used to really got that in up, my locker. I used to turn up to review the papers on Nick's show, having not been to bed for very, you know, yeah. for, for yeah, several hours. Yeah. Um, and my voice was several octaves lower than it even is now, okay. from um, mainly lifestyle reasons. Yes. Um, and we just used to get on a treat. Yes. So I think it was. I I felt we had excellent on air banter and chemistry. Um, Other people the, felt... Uh, some executives felt that it, they called it something else. I see. Yeah. Okay, well... Um, the so Jane, I'm playing it straight today. The Jane Mulcairin story will be coming your way. <laughs> Are you, would you, you should write. You're a great writer. Why don't you write a book? Oh, God, I'd never work again. No, okay. I'll do that when I don't need the money. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to let people know that actually there's an intellectual element to today's edition of Off Air, and that is... And it's not me. And it, well, it's neither of us, in, in all fairness. Uh, it is an interview with a woman who has won the Nobel Prize for Medicine. And I don't, you know, I don't say that lightly because that is an astonishing achievement. And I did feel, if I'm honest, slightly out of my depth. Um, I really did struggle with science at school. That isn't anything to be proud of. I just, maybe it was the teaching, more likely to be me, I think. Uh, in the 70s, it wasn't, if girls didn't like science, no one really bothered that much about it, did they? No. Uh, which clearly was wrong. And I'm so glad it's changed. Well, uh, I don't know. Well, we'll come on to this, but well, I don't know do. how much it's changed. I think women in STEM subjects often still have quite a hard well, time. We're talking not that long ago because we had Steph, Dame Stephanie Shirley yes. on the podcast and lots of people emailed afterwards and said, oh, she was so inspirational. And But actually, they're still it's still quite tough to be the lone woman in a an IT workforce. Mm. And there are lots of those 
those examples and lots of people who are doing engineering courses saying how odd it was to be that woman. So maybe you're right, maybe it hasn't changed. But I just want to say it was such a, ple- a, pre- a pressure, which is a mixture of pre- <laughs> privilege and pleasure, uh, to speak to the biochemist Catalin Carrico. And you can hear more from her a little bit later. But a bumper bundle of emails over the weekend. Good Lord, I know. The inbox was... I could hardly over. lift the pile. It runneth over. Yeah. Um... Before we go into them, can I just say, also very, just, just, I'd like to just reinforce that I do have some wholesome credentials. I'm not just always distracting people on their breakfast shows. And I would just like to say that this weekend, uh, I was so wholesome that I took my three-year-old godson to Diggerland, which, yeah, I know, I wore wellies. I took him to Diggerland and his brother, I drove diggers with the under sixes. Yes. And someone, well, I know who he is because there's a plaque on the wall. I mean, this is why I wish I'd gone into something engineering. Someone is making so much money from Diggerland. There's about 80 JCBs and diggers of various sorts and just oceans of small boys having the time of their lives and parents paying hand over fist. Were there no little girls digging? Uh, I saw a couple of little girls digging, yeah. but it was mainly little boys. Okay. Um, little girls have been dragged along with their brothers, I think. Oh, yeah, okay. But I need to have, this is because I'm just going to apply myself to thinking about what else do small children really like that they can't get at home that I could make an amusement park out yeah, of. Yeah, that you could set up yeah. and it would be a license to yeah. print money. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I would quite like to, and you did drive a digger. I did. And were you any good? Absolutely useless. Right. Really complicated. It's a bit, I mean, talk about packing your head and rubbing your tummy about eight times over with a forward and a back and a left and a right and a, yeah, I was absolutely useless. My granddad would have been ashamed of me, actually. Was there an overpriced souvenir shop? Oh, yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. All the diggers and hives and various items of clothing to drive diggers you could find. And could also you- an overpriced and terrible construction style calf where I had some cheesy chips that I may not yet have digested fully. Oh, I don't know. Cheesy chips sound all right in any environment. <laughs> we probably shouldn't be too rude about it, because is it actually called Diggerland? Yeah, oh, and okay. it's brilliant. Right, it's, br- it's brilliant. Yes. She said quickly, this is a brilliant place to take um, somebody under what age? Well, I, I mean, to be honest, they do they do special digging um, experiences for people over the age of 17 as well. well They're about, about 300 quid to drive a really top-spec one. But, I mean, my... my Small godson is only three and he's quite little, but as long as you're over 90 centimetres, you can sit on an adult's lap and drive any digger that you want. Do you have to be only 90 centimetres? Yes. Well, if any adult's willing to let me sit on their knee, <laughs> I could drive a digger. That just sounds amazing. I can out-wholesome you, though, because I went to Kew Gardens yesterday. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I have to say, I'm not being funny, but every middle-class person in West London <laughs> decided that yesterday was the day to go to Kew Gardens because it was relatively... spring sprung a little bit. Yeah, the crocuses mm. were out, the oh. snowdrops are go-go. And, uh, yes, it was. We, I walked through the, what do you call it, fern, what's it called? Temperate... The, the glass house Palm one. House. Palm house, the palm, palm house. house. It was all gorgeous. And um, actually, I went with my... I was slightly surprised. I had a hungover child with me. I was a bit surprised she answered in the affirmative when I suggested that a cure for her ailment might be a trip to Kew Gardens. But we really enjoyed it. It was very, very ladylike and taking a turn around the garden. I was going to say, did you go over the ha-ha? Uh, we went more than <laughs> once. Uh, but we also saw a fox. In Kew Gardens? It, I have never, and I want to report this to the Kew Gardens authorities, because if I'd found anybody around, I would have told them, I have never seen a fox in Kew Gardens before. And we're talking about half four in the afternoon, uh, just, I mean, it wasn't running. I mean, they move relatively quickly, uh, but it came out of some bushes and just sort of strode around. Wow. Never seen it before. 
do they have a fox problem? Is it a common issue there? Please let me know. Jane he got Fee. lost on the way to a day rave in Hackney. Could Who be knows? that. Yeah. Gosh. It wasn't actually one of the really mangy ones that I see round by the bins in our, in our mm. street. It was, uh, frankly, it was a Q fox. You know, they're... Yeah. They're quite Entitled. High, quite high ranking. <laughs> entitled foxes. But it was odd to see it. And, and actually, there's something scary about them. I don't care where you are. I, I, I quite like them. I do quite like them. But one died in my garden a couple of years ago um, at the bottom of my garden when I was still living in West London. I called the council to see if they would come and remove well, they it. Won't, will and they? they laughed their heads off at me and said, absolutely not. We don't collect dead animals. So then I called some private what animal the removals. Well, the answer is, if you talk about it often enough at work on the Monday, Tony Turnbull, the food editor of the Times, will come round, bag up your dead fox for you and put it outside with the bins. I thought you were going to say he then put it in the recipe pages. <laughs> Look, foxy fritters with Tony T. Maybe not. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's another use for Tony Turnbull. Exactly. Just writing that down. Uh, and it actually, it sort of it it uh, started a little bit of a man off in the office because Tony offered before Robert Crampton got to offer, and then Robert Crampton was just trying to, you know, they were trying to outbloke each other. Um, it's basically now the yardstick by which I will measure all men. Well, would you case, bag up a dead fox for me and put it out with the bins? Of all the people you've worked with, not just the men, who is the least likely to come round and help you to bag up a dead fox? I don't think I can say that on air. Yeah, but I bet we all know them. Right, OK. Uh, what have you got from email bundle? Email bundle. I'm obviously going straight in with compliments about genitalia. Um, the long-running theme, which actually started last time I was I on know, the show I with know, you. Yes. Um, this is from... Uh, uh, an unnamed uh, listener who yes. says, having my first marina coil fitted, I was nervous as my twin sister had found it very painful to insert and the doctor had given up. I relayed my fears to the doctor as she was preparing the speculum for insertion into my cervix. That's always a lovely moment, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> Um, there I was, legs in stirrups. The doctor took one look at my cervix, peered over to me and said, I don't think we'll have any problems, Mrs. Beddo. Oh, how gorgeous. We now know her name. Well, she actually did write that. Yeah, she did write that. Um, Not are you her first name. Are you all right with that, Mrs. B? Um, because <laughs> I hope so. But congratulations anyway on not having issues. Not having issues, getting your marina coil in. Um, okay. Um, I don't know where to go with that. Let's let's actually. This is an interesting email from a listener who says, uh, "Jane Fee, you were right to surmise last week that Claire Balding's relatives are tall because they're posh." You <laughs> made me laugh. Um, they are tall because they're posh, says this correspondent. I come from a posh Tory family, but when I grew up, confusingly, I became a Labour MP. I discovered that when I was voting with my Labour colleagues, I was tall enough to see over most of their heads. But when we voted along with the Conservatives, I couldn't. They were simply taller. You are right to surmise this is a matter of class or even childhood nutrition. Are we allowed to say who this is from? Because she has um, given her name. She has given her name. Um, I'm not going to mention well, it. Well, she's a former MP. She's a former MP, and I just yeah. yeah and she now has a, a, another prestigious job. Yes. And I'd just like to say we do have some powerful and influential listeners, don't and we? We welcome them. I'm going to say even more than we welcome the ordinary ones. But everyone is... <laughs> No, seriously, but everyone is welcome. Actually, I did have a drink with Claire Balding only on Thursday. And uh, in fact, I had... Were you in a high chair? I was in a high chair. Yes, I only had squash <laughs> uh, in, in a sippy cup. Um, but uh, Claire was on, I think it's fair to say, good form. Uh, Fee was there too, I should say. Uh, and some other broadcasting luminaries. And uh, we had a lovely evening. 
Thank you for asking about it, Jane. It sounds great. Yes. Who else ex- is there? And express a shred of interest. I wasn't in- well, I wasn't invited, no, so sorry, I switched off a bit. You go out with all your bloody showbiz rootin' tootin' pals from the Times 14th floor or whatever it is. Which floor are you on? 11. 11, sorry, I never do remember how this building works. Well, I've never... <laughs> the usual way. I've never... Oh, <laughs> yeah. I've never had so much as a sniff of a night out with that lot. So, we don't go out. So we say. don't go out. No, I suppose it's only DJs who have a really good time. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Um, we've had a drink together on the 17th floor. Yeah, like we must do it do, again. Haven't we? Yes. Christmas yeah. is coming up in about <laughs> 11 months. Well, so talking of other occasions, I think this is very appropriate for Valentine's week. Um, our listener says, uh, I've emailed many times in my imagination, but here is the reality uh, and I hope it makes you laugh. I listened to you discussing supermarket checkouts and it reminded me of an occasion when my now husband wished self-checkouts had been available. It was 1990 and my then boyfriend took his purchases to a till where two middle-aged ladies were changing over. They oohed and over the lovely bouquet of flowers and the luxury chocolates. They asked him about his girlfriend, me, and said what a lucky girl I was. When they eventually scanned the previous unseen packet of condoms, there was a stony silence and looks of disapproval. My husband couldn't get out of the supermarket fast enough. I still occasionally remind him of the occasion and he still cringes. Thank you very much, listener. Yeah, I yeah. mean... Can I was going to say we've all been there, but as well, a woman, I haven't. Uh, well, can... I mean, this is where you have to ask, can condoms ever be... Well, actually, they can be romantic because <laughs> they're a very sensible thing to use. And as we all know, romance and good sense are very good friends. Or they should be. Yeah, I'm just going to move on. Um, so you've been talking about uh, consultants referring oh, yeah. to people as pleasant, yes. which actually I also have been, have you been erroneously subject? described as. Yeah. Um, but it, do you know what? It's a peculiarly British thing because I had my I broke my shoulder during the pandemic and had a big surgery on it in America. My, my notes said nothing about me being pleasant. I think mainly because I was just paying loads of money. I think they just saw through they you. They don't care. But it, but when I came back and started to see a consultant here, there was lots of notes about right-handed, right-handed pleasant 40-however-year-olds. Right-handed, yeah. of course, of course it was Yeah, because yeah. yeah. it was not my left shoulder. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's kind of amazing, isn't it? But we actually got an email about, I'm going to find it here, someone explaining why they say, here we go, dear Jane and Fee, I also work in the NHS and wholeheartedly agree with a listener who spoke about deteriorating respect for staff. In our department, we often comment that the public have turned mm. and who would blame them. Nothing seems to be working. And without being political, this is having a detrimental effect on behaviour. You also mentioned the reference to the use of pleasant on a medical letter. We regularly receive referrals into our service. And to be honest, I'm often relieved to read pleasant gentleman or pleasant woman. Many staff in NHS and social care are out in the community working alone. This can mean turning up on your own to an address you've never been to before and entering a household you've never met and know nothing about. Mm. I think staff use these phrases to help other staff feel secure about their personal safety, which is a, a really that's, good point. Yeah, I never, I'd never thought about I that, actually. Either, no. um, so it's code, basically. Right. Um, from my own experiences, says our listener, I've walked into homes where I've instantly felt uncomfortable and concerned for my safety. Everyone who works in the community will have stories, but the subtle comments made in communications between professionals is sometimes very helpful. 
Okay, that is really, that's mm. an insight, isn't it? Mm. Um, and I must admit, I don't think often enough about what it feels like to go into somebody else's space as a lone individual, however significant and important you might be. I mean, I'm certainly someone, when I have, um, and if Fee were here, she'd mock this, when I have a man in to do some work, <laughs> uh, I am that woman who always says, and before anything else, do you want a tea or Absolutely. coffee? Absolutely. Same. Yeah, Same. just, to, just mm. to set the, you know, just to let them know that I'm not an old cow. Yeah. And I'd do that to anyone. Yeah. If if you were in Ireland and you remember my family, you'd have baked them a cake when they were coming around to do a bit of work for you. Would you really? Oh, God. It's, I mean, yes, I'm that person too. I offer them a cup of tea. Would you like a yeah. coffee? Would you like a water? Would you like anything else? Mm. But, oh, no, yeah. You'd be, you'd be offering some homemade biscuits or some brack. Well, I don't go that Ireland. far. I don't go that far. No, it's strictly no a beverage only. Yeah, it's transactional. I, yeah, it's transactional. <laughs> but I do think it just makes a point. Yes. And I would never not do it. So they describe you as that pleasant woman. Well, I hope they do. That yeah. pleasant old bat at number whatever it is, 38. <laughs> it's not my house number, just in case you get ideas. Here's another one, actually, about about behaviours in the public sector. Sorry, were you about to read no. another one? Sorry. Carry on. Nope. No, carry on. Nope. No, I wasn't, genuinely. Okay. Yeah. Um, in response to the question regarding abusive behaviour, says our listener, I've worked at a busy railway station not that far from Times Towers for over 30 years. Abusive passengers were always about, but now it's on a daily basis. And it's not just verbal anymore. Spitting is yeah. now the number one form of attack. That is disgusting. Isn't it horrible? This is such an issue at the station and other stations, says our listener, that we are now asked to wear body-worn cameras. That's horrible. Awful. You're working at a public interchange and the amount of spitting means you have to wear body warm cameras. Uh, I just think that's outrageous. I kind of, and I don't care about, I mean, I'm not actually that certain I understand why the public's behaviour has deteriorated since the pandemic. I'm not sure I really buy that as an excuse for certainly not spitting at somebody on a railway station concourse or being rude to an, an no. NHS receptionist. But it has definitely... It does It has changed, yeah. hasn't it? Just think about the number of people talking loudly on phones on public transport or watching videos without headphones, all that kind of thing, which is obviously yeah. not abusive, but it's very annoying. Every single train I get in the evening, uh, you know, if it's sort of after the rush hour, mm. people are making very loud phone calls, not using headphones, watching videos, playing loud music... I As if it's their front room. On the rare occasion when someone's having a noisy conversation that's properly interesting, that's great. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But I was on a train back from Liverpool the week before last and there's just a couple of... They're just having loud, tedious conversations in standard premium. Yeah. Do you just say to them, could you be more interesting, please? Yeah, I should have just turned around and said, look, the logistics of what happened at that meeting <laughs> um, in 1975 are of no interest to me or any other current inhabitant of this standard premium of anti-West carriage. <laughs> and the thing is, age is no barrier to this because there's a lot of young people having boring conversations, but I was on with three mm. old blokes the other day who were having the loudest, most boring conversation I've heard in years. Was it about cricket? No, it was about a boring work thing. Oh, was it? Yeah. That's just no excuse for boring work things. Uh, this email is headlined, How Dog Poo Helps <laughs> Make My Children Brush Their Teeth. And that's your ears are pricking up, aren't they? If you heard that on a train, you definitely tune in. Uh, Paula says, just pulled into a lay-by <laughs> to email you to report that my dear neighbour has finally unlocked the secret to getting my children to brush their teeth. It is a rubber dog's bottom <laughs> that pops onto the end of the toothpaste tube, allowing the user to effectively poo out the toothpaste onto their brush. 
I cannot tell you about the delight they still have doing this twice a day. I mean, these kids are now in their early 30s, uh, but they're still playing along with the dog poo attachment to their toothbrush. That's lovely, they're not That's... really in their 30s. <laughs> Uh, how are they both living at home still <laughs> my, my kids will be um, thank you very much indeed for that Paula um, she says I'm a long standing listener I like, you when, like it when you talk about Crosby as my grandparents lived there all their lives uh, and oh this is interesting my, it won't be interesting to you but it's fascinating to me Jane my grandmother's side of the family owned and ran Satterthwaite's Bakery which Jane must remember. Uh, I Not only do I remember it, um, it does have a current incarnation, which I visit regularly whenever I'm there. Had an Eccles cake from it only the week before last. And the favourite thing they do is these little pink things called iced Victorias. What's an iced Victoria? It is kind of a, like a bakewell, only it's mm. got a particular pink icing with brown piping. Oh, I like a bakewell. Yeah, well, it's not quite a Bakewell. Mm, like a Bakewell pudding, oh, which is yes. what they have in actual Derbyshire. You have it with creme fraiche. Well, not in Derbyshire. I know. <laughs> I don't know why anybody has anything with creme fraiche. Um, uh, so we were talking the other day, when actually last time I was here, about me being banned from Tunbridge Wells. Yes. And um, we've got a listener from Tunbridge Wells now. We've got she's, Our listener says, uh, I live 20 minutes drive from Tunbridge Wells. Does that boost our Tunbridge Wells listener figures? I think so. I think it trebles them. Yeah. So I was allowed into Kent on the weekend to go to Digland, right. as long as I didn't tell anyone. And I went back over the dark for crossing really quickly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so don't tell anyone under cover of darkness. Do you need to remind new joiners why you were banned from Tunbridge Wells? Just being so rowdy, yeah. apparently. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, they're not used to. They don't do rowdy in Tunbridge. I don't think so. You have to go out outside the city limits, even just to have a small scream. Um. Anyway, our listener says uh, we're clearly very behind the times in Kent because my local library, Hildenborough, still has a lovely lady behind the counter with a noisy stamp, and she can check the piece of paper to see how many people have had the book before me. Our listener regularly buys secondhand books, and for one, she loves an inscription. I always wonder, she says, about the book's life before it came to me, and I read the inscriptions fondly. Better still is finding a scribbled-on post-it note between pages, some writing in a margin or a paragraph which has been underlined by the previous reader. Probably weird, but I love the feeling of a connection with a total stranger. So, actually, our listener, I will send you all of the books yeah. I read for work, which are scribbled in and folded down. When anyone tries to borrow books from me, they get very disappointed. Do they? I've, I've written a lot paid. of exclamations in the margin and, yeah. you know, sometimes use rude words about how I feel about that particular person in that particular paragraph. Oh, do you? Mm. Gosh, you really take it out on the book, don't you? I really do. Get stuck get very in. very passionate. Go for it. Um, just very briefly, back to the medical letters, because I, w I was trying to look for this email earlier and I just couldn't find it and I found it now. I've been a consultant for 20 years, says Anonymous, but ever since I was a student, I've wondered why on earth we call people pleasant. I would never make a judgment that someone is pleasant or otherwise after meeting them in a medical setting for less than 10 minutes when they're bound to be stressed. I've always meant to question other colleagues about why this gets written but I never have I think it's a strange habit it passes through generations of doctors and now remains as just a way to start letters but for no good reason we've got to treat people whether they are pleasant or not I am going to start asking people why they write it says anonymous who said she or they or he had an epiphany well, thanks to this podcast thanks, I, we, we, I mean it might be a sort of accidental campaign from Times Radio is to, you know, stop judging people and their medical letters. It's about time I made an impact. <laughs> On Saturday morning, I woke up to the news that a woman whose sister I know and a woman who works here at Times Radio have both been put in the House of Lords. And I felt at that very moment, Jane, both extraordinarily well-connected 
and exceedingly old and quite angry. Did you just not feel passed over? And well, that's what yeah, I mean. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you just think, what? I anyway. Mean, they're letting 28 year olds into the House of Lords. And now. Aisha has a reason. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Well, she's pretty great, though. No, well, I, she's I mean, pretty great. I, I thought about it and then I thought, I'll send her a message. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe she could have a word. Um, well, I mean, that's pretty much what I mean, we know how this country works. <laughs> yes. Uh, Aisha always been a bit, well, I have always been a big fan. Um, anyway. I look forward to that. Yeah. We have to do off air from the chamber when you become Lady Jane G. I'll be wearing my ermine and in these temperatures it will be quite testing. Um, this is one for people to get there. We've got to get onto our guest who is no less a person than the winner of the Nobel Prize for Medicine. I mean, I still like saying that. But you almost laugh when you say it because you can't believe you're allowed to talk well, to her. Because one minute I'm talking, making vague jokes about genitalia <laughs> and the next minute I'm introducing the winner of that. Anyway, got um, range. this is something for people to think about because it's a quite a long email and I won't read out who it's from because they, they want to stay anonymous. But it's about the national anthem. And I wanted to mention it because... Um, we talked. We played the Finnish national anthem on the Times Radio show today, uh, for reasons I don't need to go into now, and it was rather lovely. Um, and this correspondent has asked why uh, they watched the rugby at the weekend, England playing Wales, and land of my fathers, land of our fathers, land of my fathers, or land of our fathers, land of my fathers, my fathers. Welsh, yeah. uh, is the Welsh national mm, anthem. Now, I, yeah, it is lovely and it's very poignant. It's incredibly stirring. However, when I was on Woman's Hour, we once did an item about whether it was anti-feminist. Mm. And fair enough, because, you know, your mother's your mother, so why can't it be land of my mother's? Plus, it's simply a fact that lots of people, they think somebody's their father, but it's not. So it's very possible that people are singing land of my father's. Besides someone who's not their dad. And actually their dad was from Tunbridge Wells. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> that was Woman's Hour, and that was a long time ago now. But I'm just thinking, uh, in the light of this email we've had, uh, it's very passionate, the email, and it's just about how beautiful they found Land of My Fathers and why, oh, why, oh, why are the English stuck with God Save the King? Mm. And that's out of no disrespect to our monarch, who's not very well at the moment, so we send him our best. But is is that really the best the English can do? It's not a banger, is it? No. When it comes to no. tunes or indeed like sentiments that we yeah. really so, love. Just no. throwing it out there, um, what do you think... Is God Save the King good enough to be the national anthem? I don't know. People will find that very controversial, mm. Jane. What's your favourite national anthem? Um, well, you've got to say in terms of emotion, Land of My Fathers, although I understand mm. the feminist sentiments surrounding it, it is an amazing, um, an amazing stirring song. Um, what about, uh, well, the French one is Marciaz good. is excellent, yeah, isn't it? I mean, it? it's great. Yeah. The, the Russian one is a heck of a tune. Mm. Uh, I also do like the Star Spangled Banner, but maybe that's just because I lived there for a long time. But when someone is really belting it out, it's a good tune. Yeah. Had you heard of Travis Kelsey before all this? No. No. Absolutely, we were having this discussion downstairs today. Oh, oh downstairs, downstairs, where all the cool kids are. <laughs> yeah, and what were they saying? Well, we were sort of comparing it to... Tony Bush Turnbull with <clears throat> a dead fox yeah, slung no. over his arm. <laughs> Stirring his suit with one hand, yeah. slinging foxes in the other. What a fella. Um, 
are, we were comparing it to Posh and Bex when they first got together and saying that, you know, most people outside of football hadn't really heard that much about David Beckham when they started dating and Posh was the much more famous of the two. And I guess it's comparable, but on a monumental scale with with Taylor. Mm. Um, I just felt sorry for all the other celebrities at the Super Bowl yesterday who didn't get a look in. Well, no, it was a Taylor show. I mean, Alicia, Alicia Keys yeah. sang with Usher and they were amazing apparently, but... Nobody cared. Um, I'm afraid nobody did <laughs> very much. Right, thank you very much. Thank you for the lovely insight into what goes on on the 11th floor. Uh, one day I'll visit. Do tell us, uh, stock up some more showbiz stories for tomorrow. I will. Yeah, because, um, well, we just, you know, Kate and I, we're just very ordinary and, well, we can only dream about what goes on three floors down. The train is now approaching. Junction at platform. Passengers, airport, please stay on board. Next stop, road station iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Now, on to our guest today, the Hungarian biochemist, Katalin Kariko, who won the Nobel Prize for Medicine last year for some work alongside the American immunologist Drew Wiseman. They actually met, Jane, these two. This wonderful thing might not have happened had they not met, slightly, but well, entirely by accident, at a photocopying machine. And it's just worth saying that they don't exist really anymore. There's one out there. Apart from here... They barely exist. <laughs> and a lot of young... There's one out there. OK, we've, oh, got, we've got loads. <laughs> if anyone's looking to get, to get a new boyfriend, come to Times Towers and hang around the photocopiers. Who needs the apps? Drew Wiseman was not her boyfriend. <laughs> so I'm going to move back. Partner. No. Work partner. She worked Work with partner. Them. They They did some amazing research that ended up helping the development of the COVID-19 vaccine. So it's, to put it mildly, a considerable feat. Uh, but Catalin had had a, a really happy childhood, but a truly impoverished one. Uh, and you'll hear about that in the interview. Uh, for years, she had this obsession with the molecule mRNA. She believed it was able to prevent disease but loads of her colleagues, not least at the university she went to work in in America, thought she was quite simply misguided. If not more than that, they thought she was crackers. And she lost out on funding, she lost out on jobs, and she was more or less ignored for years. Not, by the way, that it bothered her one iota, because she kept pursuing it. And she has ended up winning, alongside Drew Wiseman, the Nobel Prize for Medicine last year. So I asked her how she found out about the prize. It was, I should say, three o'clock in the morning when the phone rang. First, my husband picked up the phone and because he's a maintenance manager and he has many phone calls during the night for broken down the system of the big housing complex. But at that time, the phone was not for him, but he handed over and he said, oh, that's for you. 
and it was three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So uh, when someone tells you that you're a winner of the Nobel Prize, do you go back to sleep? Do you put the kettle on? What do you do? <laughs> no, no. Anyway, you couldn't go back because right away after I have to give an interview to the Nobel Prize Foundation, they call me back. And of course, yeah, now you, you cannot sleep for <laughs> for another day or so because you get so excited and everybody's calling you, all of the telephone is ringing and and uh, my husband tried to help me six o'clock somebody at the door and it was the Japanese television and already were filming. My husband opens the door. <laughs> crazy. It, well, it is crazy. It's also richly deserved. And, and can you just explain in simple terms mm -hmm. that we can all understand mm -hmm. why you won? So the explanation was that um, together with my colleague, Drew Weissman, we reshaped this RNA by uh, making it... Uh, usable for uh, therapeutic purposes, the messenger RNA. The messenger RNA, which uh, codes for a protein, and it can be used not just for vaccines, many different vaccines, but it is a therapeutic use. And, and so that we made with this modification RNA, messenger RNA, available for therapeutic use and including uh, making the COVID vaccine. And it was something that you had been working on for, well, many, many years. This this wasn't something you'd only done over the last couple of years, was it? Yes. Uh, so with RNA, this ribonucleic acid is the abbreviation stand for. This is a nucleic acid, which is present in every cell in our body. And I started to work with RNA in Hungary when I was a graduate student in 1978 and came to the United States in 85. I still was working with RNA. These were a shorter RNA, but we had to synthesize, modify, and use different kind of procedure. And you learn how to work with this fragile molecule. And from 1989, I made messenger RNA, and then I used it with different application and um, in cell cultures, later in animal studies. And so it was um, quite several decades of working with uh, this fragile RNA molecule. And while you were doing that, uh, were you respected and rewarded? Or did, did some people wonder what, in fact, you were up to, what the point of it all was? So, you know, many of the people who work in their life, you know, in the scientists work in the RNA, they just did not like to work with it because it degraded so quickly. And, and when I said to somebody that I am working with RNA, they felt sorry for me because they, oh, I hate RNA. Oh, my God, you are doing this. So it is because this was not an easy thing, but I could see progress when I was working with it. And of course, others didn't see that and so they thought that it is not useful thing and then for me it was fun and I had fun in the laboratory getting progress but not getting funding and no reward I mean I never get an RO1 grant in the United States that means that you are a scientist and the first award actually I got in 2021 February so you know three years ago Wow. Okay. Nothing until then. And But what you were doing in many ways is, well, it's a thing of beauty because you were pursuing knowledge for, for knowledge's sake, weren't you? Um, mm -hmm. there's, a, there's a real purity to what you were doing. Yes. Yes. It is important in science, you know, that we try to solve, understand, solve a problem, understand some complex process. But uh, it seems that how scientists progress in their 
career, you know, that the goal somehow gets to promotion, bigger team, more money, more reference, more paper. So that's what somehow the goal became. And then the tool is, you know, we do have to publish because we need more money kind of things happening. And and I didn't care about, you know, because anyway, I was demoted. I, you know, I get down, down <laughs> further, but I still, with the same enthusiasm, I was doing the research. So I was not awarded, but I, I didn't care. I was curious to make this RNA usable. Then I realized that it is inflammatory. Then I tried to understand why. And then when investigating this part, realizing that, oh, some RNA is not inflammatory, so that might be useful for something. And again, figuring out that those are why not inflammatory. And all, all the time is the question was about understanding the science. And in between, of course, I always thought, oh, it will be useful for something. And wow, has it been useful. Um, when, when the pandemic struck... Mm-hmm. Did you realize immediately that this was going to be something you could contribute to? You have to understand that two years before that, so 2018, I was working at BioNTech in Germany, and we already collaborated with Pfizer to develop a vaccine for influenza. This would be an mRNA-based vaccine. So we were we were already studying it, perform all of the animal study ready for human trial in end of 2019 when the pandemic happened. So we knew that we have something which is well characterized against other virus and other vaccine. But you know, we already other application we tested out in animals. Uh, you know, not just influenza, the HIV and other viral disease. And so we knew that it. It is very quickly adaptable for anything. So I, I was not the visionary. It was Ugur Zahin, my CEO at BioNTech, who in January 2020, he realized that it could be a pandemic because some people yeah. had infection and had no symptoms. And then he thought that they would travel and, and they would spread. Your life has changed beyond, well, I mean, you've made the front cover of magazines, you've been fated all over the world, you've been on red carpets, but your life has been one of struggle, hasn't it? Certainly at the beginning. Uh, tell, Tell me a little bit about your childhood. Where did you grow up? So I grew up in Hungary, a very small town, and uh, it seems from an outside or looking back that, oh, how deprived my life could be, you know, no running water, no television, no refrigerator, and so many things, no, no, no. But the neighbors didn't have that. I didn't know. We didn't miss those things. And, you know, I have very loving family. I have an older sister, and my father was a butcher, and, and we had enough to eat. Some people did not have that, and we could go to school. I didn't know that when 52 kids in the school, this, you know, in one class is, is a lot. You know, we were quiet, and, and that, that's what, what it is. And, and so it seems like from the outside that it was not too happy life, but it was was happiness. And my father and my mother had just elementary school education, but the system in that time 
was that encouraging the children to study. So my sister get PhD in economy. I get PhD in biochemistry. And, you know, my parents were not even high school educated. And the system was such and the education was free. And many things, you know, in this system helped. Uh, for example, we get a good affordable, high quality child care. So when my daughter was born, I could leave her in the child care, which was like she was three months old. So there were many things which people from this distance, they cannot see that maybe there are things which we should adopt here in other countries. Well, yeah, it's a good point. Um, You must have had teachers who clearly spotted your potential and allowed you to, to flourish. Yes, indeed. Uh, So the teachers are very important. In elementary school, for biology class, we went out to the nearby forest and and the teacher picked up uh, leaves and he found always something so interesting that, hmm, we never paid attention to this one. And I remember the chemistry teacher, just she just graduated from school and she came and, and we did like these crystals that we could have a little thread and we get our own crystal and how we make a crystal. And, and so it was all exciting thing. And in a high school, local high school where I went, there were so interesting things that the teacher pointed out. So it was not he, he was trying to fill our brain with all of the knowledge, but he was always questions did you thought about why <laughs> you know why and and everybody had to think about what could be the reason for that <laughs> and so it yes, was like okay. interesting have you been able to make contact with any of your old teachers since you got the prize? Yes, yes, of course. When I get the award, I call up my high school biology teacher and I visited them. So even prior to that, so every year when I went back to the small town, you know, I visited my high school teacher. I also, on the Nobel Prize ceremony, most of them were my mentors from, uh, from Hungary who I invited as a guest. So we celebrated together. <laughs> well, they, they must have been so, so proud. Did you ever feel in the States that you were overlooked and that you didn't get the credit that you really deserved? So I was not, uh, my philosophy was not like that. I didn't pay attention how others perceived me and judge me. I, I didn't care. I knew my own value. I knew that what I'm doing is important. And I knew that one day... Maybe not me, but somebody else will take this in a new level and then it will be helping people. So it was this uh, philosophy of also I get from this high school about Hans Scheyer, Janos Scheyer, who coined the word stress, how to handle that. And I always, as a, this high school teacher, gave me the book. And this book was about you always have to focus on what you can do. Not that others could do, the committee should give me the grant or accept my paper, those who are reviewing it. But when they're reading the criticism, what I can do. And that's what's always about, yeah. that what I can do not, you know, that, and this is the whole life is true. Not, you know, you want your wife, your children, your neighbor should be quiet, your wife should do something, your children, you always wish somebody else should do something, but you, you cannot change them. No, you, well, you, you, seem, you, you seem to be somebody without any, a tra- you don't have a trace of bitterness, but it, it's clear that there were large parts of your career which were really quite hard. You were, you were working in very long hours, painstaking work, and people were pretty horrible to you, weren't they? Yes. So, but if you would ask my husband, he would say that I was always so happy. 
to go to work. He, he, he said that you are not going to work, you know, you just go and get there to have fun. So I never came home and bitter that, oh, that said that and that. No, I said, oh, I, I solved this problem. And then I was so excited. <laughs> so I was. Well, I mean, that's so true. I mean, you, to say the least, Catalan, you are now having the last laugh. And um, it's human nature. You must, on the day that you and Drew found out that you'd won the Nobel Prize, you must have sat there a bit smug and said to yourself, well, how about that then? You must. <laughs> People ask me also that, no, you go back and those who throw out your stuff, what you are telling them now? But I am not that kind of uh, person. And, no, okay. and for example, the chairman, a neurosurgeon, I never blame him that he throw me out because how, how you can expect a neurosurgeon would understand that what I am doing, you know, this RNA things. I don't, you know, he just look at that, that I don't get the grant. And that's what his uh, judge, that experts are saying that what you are doing is not useful and you have to leave. Uh, Catalin, you are a, a substantially better person than most of us. And um, it's been such a pleasure to talk to you. Congratulations um, from all of us who've benefited from your work. Thank you very much. Thank you. That was Catalin Carrico, and she has written a book about her life story, really, and her incredible achievement. It's called Breaking Through My Life in Science. And the great thing about her, Jane, I try, I suppose in a way I tried to get her to be bitter about her experience of being ignored for so long, and she just doesn't have it in her. No. I don't think she'd ever had it in her. I think she was a happy, devoted biochemist doing her thing. She was convinced that her research would come good and that it would be of use. And boy, has she been proved right. Absolutely. I suppose you you don't spend your whole career thinking, I won't be happy unless I win a Nobel Prize. I mean, I hope you don't spend your whole life thinking like that because barely anyone does. Well, that's terrific, Jane. It is the biggie, isn't it? First of all, um, you've hinted that I may not make the House of Lords. So now <laughs> there's a suggestion. That... You might not get a Nobel Prize. I, no, I think you absolutely will, Jane. There is one for podcasting, right? Well, if there isn't, there bloody well should be. <laughs> right. Um, thank you very much. Sorry I was rude about you earlier. I mean, you'll have to join a little support group with Fee. Actually, I think, suspect she probably already has. Um, we are back tomorrow. And thank honestly, I wish we could do justice to the sheer volume of emails. Uh, we really appreciate your interest and keep them coming on any old thing. But I think I'd quite like to talk about national anthems this week. Definitely. Yeah. Maybe, maybe we could get some clips. We could get, get some, we could get some clips. Yeah. We had a clip of a seal clapping on the radio show today. God, it's technical here, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. <laughs> Got all the bells and whistles. Seal claps and all. Okay, uh, thank you for listening. Jane and Fee at Times.Radio. Well done for getting to the end of another episode of Off Air with Jane Garvey and Fee Glover. Our Times radio producer is Rosie Cutler and the podcast executive producer is Henry Tribe. And don't forget, there is even more of us every afternoon on Times Radio. It's Monday to Thursday, 3 till 5. You can pop us on when you're pottering around the house or heading out in the car on the school run or running a bank. Thank you for joining us and we hope you can join us again on Off Air very soon. Don't be so silly. Running a bank? I know, lady. A lady listener. I'm just sorry.
iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com